Clint are moving up toward uh, Tennessee, up toward Chattanooga area. And um, just the way that they said goodbye and the relationship that they had with one another uh, really just resembled the way church family ought to look. And uh, I just loved seeing how they love one another and how the family that they've become and how they lead us in worship each week. And that all just comes through and it's very genuine, it's very authentic. And I just appreciate them. And y'all, I'm sure, would agree with me in that. Um, I want to uh, jump into today, uh, we want to wrap up our series on essentials. And we're going to be looking at Jehovah's Witnesses. And you say, we're talking about the who? Um, yes. Uh, and I thought that this would be a good way to end this series on essentials. Because what we've been doing is we've been looking at some of the essential doctrines of the Christian church, of, of biblical Christianity and what are these essential doctrines? And so we wanted to school ourselves on that. And I thought, well, what better way to kind of wrap up the series than to look at how some of these doctrines are askew, how they're, how they're wrong uh, with the Jehovah's Witnesses. And then that'll make more clear, because what I've been saying over the past weeks and months has been, here's what we believe, this is what we believe. Well, let's look at what somebody else believes that's wrong, and then maybe that'll help us see a little bit more clearly what it is that we know to be true. And so... Uh, that's what we're going to jump into today, and I think it'll be a blessing to you. Um, we are going to start with the reading from Scripture, and uh, we're going to read from Isaiah chapter 43. And as we always do, we will stand. So I'm going to ask you to stand for the reading from God's Word. And we stand as a reminder to ourselves that this is our truth source, that this, the Bible represents God's truth in written form. Will you all please say that with me? The Bible is... God's truth in written form. That's what it represents. And so we want to read from God's word today. Isaiah chapter 43, we'll read verses 10 through 12. So let's read together. Uh, before we do that, these are the Jehovah's Witnesses verses. They go to these verses and they say, ah, there's God talking about the Jehovah's Witnesses. So they pull this thing totally out of context. We'll get there later. But let's, let's read together here. Uh, Isaiah 43, beginning at verse 10. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord. And my servant whom I have chosen, so that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before no God was formed, nor will there be one after me. I, even I, am the Lord, and apart from me there is no Savior. I have revealed and saved and proclaimed, I and not some foreign God among you. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, that I am God. You may be seated. So the Jehovah's Witnesses pull out of these verses um, a prophecy, they say, of Isaiah talking about this church that will emerge one day, that will be the true church of, of, of God. And so that's what their claim is. And so they seize upon these verses. Well, I want to start not with that scripture, but I want to start with kind of where did these people get going? Where did they come from? How did they, what was their beginning? Well, the Jehovah's Witnesses started with a guy by the name of Charles Russell. Charles Russell was born in 1852 in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. He dropped out of school at the age of 15 to help his father in his father's clothing, clothing business. Um, it's important to note that, that Charles Russell had no, absolutely no, theological training whatsoever. During this time, he was attending church, and he became very disgruntled, very upset about two of the doctrinal teachings that he was hearing in his local church. One of them was the doctrine of hell, and the other was the doctrine of eternal torment. Now, if you were with us two weeks ago, we just preached on this doctrine of hell. And if you missed it, I would encourage you to go back online, listen to it. It's a great rendering of what the Bible teaches and how much Jesus taught about 
the doctrine of hell. But in any case, this guy, Charles Russell, who started the Jehovah's Witnesses, he was very upset about this teaching. He had a real problem with it. And so at the age of 17, he dropped out of church and he stopped reading the Bible because he simply could not deal with these two doctrinal teachings. About a year later in 1870, at the age of 18, he went to a meeting where he heard a Seventh-day Adventist preaching. And consistent with Seventh-day Adventist teaching, uh, the guy taught that there is no such place as hell, that people are just annihilated when they die if they haven't accepted Christ. And so he seized upon that teaching and then began studying the Bible for himself, got excited about it again. And he began a little Bible study two years later in 1872, where he began teaching his, Charles Russell's, truths. You follow me? He's not teaching the Bible. He's teaching his truths or what he wanted to, the text to say. A couple of years later, he was named the pastor of this little Bible study group, and they became known as the Watchtower Bible and Tract Society. Now, 1931, the Jehovah's Witnesses no longer were the Watchtower Bible and Tract Society, but they renamed themselves under the title that we know today as Jehovah's Witnesses. And all of that was based on the verse that we just read from Isaiah chapter 43 and verse 10, where it says, For you are my witnesses, declares the Lord. So they, he finds that verse, they seize upon that and say, that's God speaking about us. <laughs> Wrong. But in any case, that's what they thought. Well, if, that's what the wit if there is supposed to be these witnesses for God, what is it that the Jehovah's Witnesses are out there witnessing for? I mean, for what purpose are they witnessing? What are they saying? Well, Jehovah's Witnesses, if you ever have a conversation with them, are obsessed with the return of Christ obsessed with the return of Christ. I mean, they just, they're just ready for it. It's imminent. It's coming anytime, and they're just obsessed, obsessed with trying to figure that out. And all this began with Charles Russell. He had an obsession at targeting the date of Christ's return. He did some calculations. He did some study in the text, um, and he determined that 1914 was the year that Christ was going to return. Well, 1914 came and went, and Jesus has not returned. And one of the interesting things is that he took the angles of the Great Pyramids and he placed the, he took the angles of the Great Pyramids and somehow that factored into his calculations. And I, I honestly, I do not understand what that had to do with it or how he used those angles. But in any case, that was one of the things that he said. So he was, so 1914 came, went, uh, he's a little embarrassed, said, no, 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 I must have done something wrong. And so he redid some more calculations and he said, you know what, in 1915, that is the year when Christ is going to return. Well, 1915 came and went, no return of Christ. I mean, you know what the return of Christ is. He's talking about Jesus coming back to the earth, gathering up the saints, taking them on up to heaven, the believers taking them on up to heaven. And so he says that uh, in his Watchtower magazine in 1915 that nobody other than the Jehovah's Witnesses, if you're not a part of the, the Watchtower Society, there weren't Jehovah's Witnesses then, the Watchtower Society, if you're not a member of that, then you will not survive Armageddon. You will be annihilated. You will be destroyed. You will not go to heaven. And so he got people all stirred up, and thousands and thousands of people joined the Watchtower Society because he was out there preaching this message of, if you're not part of the Watchtower Society, you're going to miss heaven. And so, uh, so he sets this new date of 1915. 1915 came and went, still no return of Christ. Well, in 1916, Charles Russell died. Well, the church continued on under his successor, a guy by the name of Judge Rutherford. Rutherford uh, did some of his own calculations, and he determined, he gave himself a little bit of window here, he determined that 1925 was going to be the year. So this is Charles Russell's successor. 1925 is going to be the year, and so he spends you know, the next decade uh, with he and all the other witnesses out there 
uh, just preaching and proclaiming feverishly that if you're not a part of the witness, the Watchtower Society, if you're not part of us, then when Christ comes back, you're going to be annihilated, you're going to be destroyed, you won't make it up to heaven. Well, once again, 1925 came and went, and no return to Christ. And so the Watchtower Society leaders were very uh, embarrassed by all of this, and you'd think that they would have learned, right? Well, ah, here they go again. 1978 was going to be the year. Gave themselves a little bit bigger window, but we're anticipating 1978 to be the year, the undeniable year, that Christ is going to return. And it's interesting because what they had to do was they had to go back in and explain away what their living prophets, people that were speaking on behalf of God, that's the way they believe this, that people who were speaking on behalf of God, why it is that they were wrong. Hmm. Well, that's interesting. But in any case, so 1978 comes and goes, and sure enough, best of my knowledge, Jesus did not return. So let's summarize. What have we learned so far? Well, we've learned so far that the Jehovah's Witnesses began on a theology that uh, repudiated, that found repugnant the doctrine of hell, the teaching that, that there's a place where God will send sinners and that they will, be, they will suffer eternal torment there. That's how it began. And we learned, number two, that the Jehovah's Witnesses are a group that are obsessed with the doctrine of the return of Christ. That is that they believe that Jesus is just coming back, just around the corner. Now, this is what they, where they came from. This is how they began. What is it now that they teach? What's their doctrinal framework? I mean, do they, do they you know, how does that compare with biblical Christianity? Well, I've got a couple things here for you. First of all, the Jehovah's Witnesses teach, they flatly deny the Trinity. That is the doctrine of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. God is three persons in one, simultaneously, forever, always existing. Jesus didn't exist when he showed up at the womb of Mary. No, no, Jesus was pre-existing. The Word was God, the Word was with God, and all the way at the beginning. And so Jesus is a part of the Godhead. He's always existed, just as the Father, just as the Holy Spirit um, has. And so, But they believe that, the, that, that there is no Trinity. They believe that there's one God, Jehovah God, Father God, if you would, and so that He is only one person. They believe that the first thing that Jehovah's that the first thing that Jehovah God created, this is interesting, the first thing that He created, His first act of creation, was to create a super angel, an archangel named Michael. Now there is a character in the Bible, an angel named Michael. So it's interesting how groups like this, Mormons, groups like that, will piggyback on the truth of God's word but will twist it just enough, tamper with it just enough to get to some end that they're trying to create. But in any case, what they believe is that, uh, is that God created Michael, the super angel, and that when Jehovah God decided to redeem humanity, he created a body for this person named Jesus, and that Michael came down and inhabited the body of Jesus, and that it was Michael who experienced performed the miracles it was michael this archangel that uh, did all the all the healings that it was michael who did all the preaching and the teaching it was michael that went to the cross but he did this in the body of jesus and that when the body of jesus died that jesus just ceased to exist and that michael went on up to heaven um, after he had completed his task um, it should be said that the Jehovah's Witnesses de deny, almost to the point of ridicule, the deity of Jesus Christ. They believe that he is not part of the Godhead in their mind. In fact, in their mind, they see Jesus as not even a permanently existing creature. Again, that God, they would say Jehovah God just created Jesus' body, Michael inhabited it, 
when, when Michael was done with the body, his body was gone, the person of Jesus no longer existed. Secondly, what do they think about the Holy Spirit? Well, they don't believe that the Holy Spirit is part of the Godhead. They believe that the Holy Spirit is a force, an energy mass, if you would, that lives here on the earth, that goes around and does the bidding of Jehovah God. Now, what do the Jehovah's Witnesses believe about the Bible? What is their truth source? We stand up each week to say, this is where truth comes from. That God's word is God's truth in written form. Well, what is their truth source? Where do they get truth from? Well, if you were talking to the average Jehovah's Witness, they would say that they believe in the Bible. They would say that they think that the Bible is God's truth to us. The only problem is, as with the Mormons, the Jehovah's Witnesses only take God's word on their own terms. That is, if there's something in here that disagrees with what they believe or what their teachings are, then the Jehovah's Witnesses will say, well, somebody's gone in and doctored that. Somebody's gone in and altered that somewhere through time. That's really not what God prescribed or what God wanted to write. Or they themselves, if you ever get a hold of a Jehovah's Witness Bible, they themselves have gone in to make changes to the text so that it gets them to their intended destination. Um, the Jehovah's Witnesses uh, accomplish this. Really, their true source is what's called the Watchtower magazine. If you've ever had Jehovah's Witnesses come to your house, they'll leave in your storm door or something like that, they'll leave one of their Watchtower magazines. And for them, that is their truth source, their ultimate truth source. It's published, they don't have a, a, a doctrine per se, a written down doctrinal statement. They don't have articles of faith. What they do have is this Watchtower magazine that is produced every two weeks, and it's produced by the leaders of the Jehovah's Witness group. And their leadership in the magazine explain or interpret scripture for them. They expand upon the text. They say, well, this is why, this is what the Bible's trying to say here. This is what Jehovah God wants us to know here. And so they want for people, their own people, to read the magazine. They want them to read it scrupulously. They want them to read every word of it every two weeks. It's very important to them because only the Watchtower magazine, remember Charles Russell started this stuff out, can give you a correct understanding or interpretation of the biblical text. I cannot emphasize enough the role of the Watchtower magazine for Jehovah's Witnesses. This is their ultimate truth source. Again, when the Bible disagrees with their magazine, they don't go with the Bible. They go with their magazine. Okay, what about salvation? What's the Jehovah's Witness plan? for obtaining heaven. Well, without a hint of reservation, Jehovah's Witnesses claim to be the only God-honoring people on the planet. And that if you are not a member of the Jehovah's Witness Society, Kingdom Hall, whatever you want to call it, if you're not a member, then you won't go to heaven. You will be, you won't go to hell, because they don't believe in hell. You won't experience eternal torment, because they don't believe in eternal torment. You'll be annihilated. That's what they teach. And so only those that are Jehovah's Witnesses will get to go to heaven. According to Jehovah's Witness leaders, this is the way salvation comes. That you do have to believe in Jesus because God sent Michael down here and went to the cross to redeem humanity of their sins. And that was the point of the cross, they say. But sinners, and I quote, must, don't miss this, must, they say, not me, they, must prove themselves worthy. That is, they do not believe in a doctrine of grace. That we don't earn our way into God's favor. We don't, we don't get God, to, uh, we don't get God to, to like us or to accept us. 
um, based upon what he's done for us, that we don't bring anything to the table. We just, get, we just ask for forgiveness. And that that's all. It's saved by grace plus nothing else. But yet the Jehovah's Witnesses say, yeah, you're saved by what God did for us, plus you've got to do some things. So they teach a works righteousness. That is that we have to earn God's acceptance. And so they say that you have to obey everything that's in the Bible. And as important as that, you have to pledge absolute loyalty to the Watchtower organization. Friends, this is what cults do. The Jehovah's Witnesses are the second largest cult in America behind the Mormons. They don't believe in the essentials of the Christian faith. There's a lot of people out there, a lot of people, who claim the name of Christ. And when they get to heaven, Christ is going to say, <laughs> I never knew you. And so they, they teach, you know, you got to have loyalty to the Watchtower Society above all else. And that is you have to do the door-to-door witnessing. You have to go to Kingdom Hall meetings. You have to read the Watchtower magazine. And if you are not a faithful member of the Jehovah's Witnesses, they believe that you will not go to heaven because you have to prove yourself worthy. This is their gospel. You say, well, Gordon, according to their teaching, then it doesn't sound like every Jehovah's Witness goes to heaven. That's correct. That's what they teach. Only those who have been faithful as Jehovah's Witnesses will go to heaven. Uh, the rest of the Jehovah's Witnesses, the ones that weren't quite so faithful, didn't do all the Watchtower uh, magazine reading, didn't do the door-to-door witnessing like they should have. Um, the rest of the Jehovah's Witnesses will stay here on what they call Paradise Earth. So when Christ comes back, he'll take with him, guess how many people? 144,000, Revelation chapter 14. He'll take, they'll take with him the 144,000 really good Jehovah's Witnesses. The rest he will leave here on earth and that Christ is, or Michael or Jehovah God, I don't know, one of those, is going to um, turn the earth into this Edenic kind of uh, existence again where it's this peaceful place and the rest of the Jehovah's Witnesses that didn't make it to heaven will live here in this peaceful place for the rest of eternity. Um, and then everybody else, the not Jehovah's Witnesses, will be annihilated, will cease to exist. That's what they teach. Um, so if you have any loss of zeal, any neglect of literature distribution, any kingdom hall absenteeism, any watchtower disloyalty, these things cause a Jehovah's Witness to be unworthy for the ransom that was paid for them. And the real problem is, how do you ever know if you've done enough? How do you ever know if you've done enough door-to-door? How do you ever know if you've distributed enough literature? How do you ever know if you've been to enough Kingdom Hall meetings? How do you ever know if you've handed out enough of their stuff? I mean, the pressure on Jehovah's Witnesses to beat out the person sitting in the pew next to them is tremendous. Constantly in competition, with even within their own group, their own selves, to try and beat out everybody so that they can make it up to heaven. Theirs is a works righteousness. And boy, oh boy, the New Testament has a lot to say about that. Okay? All right, well, that's as far as we're going to go with our treatment of this uh, religion. I don't know what you want to call it. But anyhow, that's our, that's our treatment of it. And so that brings us to our most important question. It's the question you're going, mm-hmm, please ask that question. What difference does all this make to my life? You say, Gordon, I mean, thank you for the history lesson, but I, I mean... I don't even have any Jehovah's Witnesses that live in my neighborhood. 
what difference does any of this make to me? Well, I'm glad you asked. About six or eight weeks ago, I was sitting in my house on a Saturday morning, and I was doing something. I don't know. It might have been relaxing or it might have been grading papers or something. Anyhow, I see a car pull up in the driveway, and I think, oh, yeah, this happens every so often. Oh, somebody looking for a funeral. They don't know how to get there. they mistaken Hebrew and Christian for, you know, the other one. And so but we get a call, like, at least two or three times a week. So I have their, their number, like, posted. But in any case, um, I doubt they get as many calls. For, but anyway, okay. <clears throat> so I, I just, and I'm thinking, well, maybe, maybe it's somebody who's just lost. Maybe it's somebody who, who needs something. You know, we have folks stop by every once in a while for that. And this guy and this lady, they hop out of the car, and they're dressed up really nice. And she's, she has what looks to be a Bible in her hand. And I was like, Jehovah's Witnesses. That's what it is. Lord, uh, I'm not even going to answer the door. Lights off, right? Shut the lock. So I'm just thinking, God, I don't have time for this. And so I'm thinking to myself, I just, I don't want to go. So I went over to the door, and I walked outside, and I greeted him. And, and we began just kind of talking. I was like, okay, Lord, all right, fine. We'll just see where this goes. And so I just greeted them and kind of started to hear their story. And uh, I've shared with them a little bit about myself. And um, I could tell that the guy that was there had drank the Kool-Aid. I mean, he, was, he, knew, he knew that Watchtower magazine very well, but he didn't know his Bible. So I was like, aha, okay, crack. And then the lady that was with him, I could tell she was more like an apprentice. She had not done a lot of these door-to-door. I could, I, you could just kind of read that. And so I could just tell that she was, um, she was still in a state of, of buying in. She hadn't bought in all the way. She wasn't 100% sure about all the things that, that were being taught to her. And so I asked her, both of them, their story, how they ended up at Jehovah's Witnesses. She said her dad was a pastor in an uh, a evangelical Christian church uh, growing up, and that she um, told her, you know, they made a connection with the Jehovah's Witnesses and then um, kind of joined them and told her dad about it before he died. And he was, he himself wasn't really sure about everything. And I could tell she just hadn't had a good depth of teaching in her past. And so she made her very susceptible for when, you know, somebody, a wolf in sheep's clothing might show up. And sure enough, that's kind of what happened. And she got roped in and found community there. And um, anyhow, so she became a part of it. And so I stood there and I let them share about, you know, do their whole spiel that, that they share and stuff. And, and then I said, can I show you some things in your Bible? And so, oh, sure. And so I took her Bible. I didn't go get mine. I took her Bible from her. I opened it up and I turned to John chapter 10 and I showed her where Jesus says, for I and the Father are one. And then the very next verse, Jesus says, Why are, for what teaching are you trying to stone me? And the Pharisees say, we're not stoning you for healing somebody or whatever it was. We are stoning you for blasphemy because you, a mere man, claim to be God. I said, you just told me that Jesus wasn't God, but your Bible just says that Jesus claimed to be God. And then I flipped over to Mark chapter 2, and we looked at the paralytic, the story of the paralytic, where this guy is brought to Jesus, and they knock the hole in the roof, and he says, your sins are forgiven. And everybody in the room goes, well, hold on, that's only something God can do. 
And so then Jesus says, hey, look, which is harder for me to heal the guy or for me to forgive him of his sins? And because I could walk around and tell you your sins are forgiven, your sins are forgiven, your sins are forgiven. I don't really know that I forgave your sins. But he says, so that you know that I have the power to forgive sins, stand up and walk. And so he heals the guy out the house he walks. And so Jesus is basically saying, because I just healed this guy, you also know that I have the power to forgive sins. Again, something only that God can do. Well, at this point, the man who drank the Kool-Aid is sweating. (laughs) He's got his apprentice with him. And I mean, he's got his rag out. I'm not kidding you. I mean, there's beads coming down his forehead. He is visibly upset. And I'm eyeball to eyeball. I'm looking this lady in the eye. I'm just ignoring him like he's not even there. And we're just having a very deep conversation. And I, sh- I shared with her, I said, you know what? I have a Greek New Testament in my house. I'd love for you to come back another time because he was ready to go. He was like, hey, look, we need to go. It's been very nice meeting you, sir. I mean, he's verbally trying to, trying to move this, the, end this conversation. Been out there for about 20 minutes. He's trying to end this conversation, and um, so, uh, so I, said, I said, I'd love to share with you about my Greek, with my Greek New Testament where I can show you in the original language where the stuff that, that the Jehovah's Witness Watchtower folks have inserted some things and have messed with some things from the original text. And I mean, he's just, whew, he is having a, a hard time. The deodorant just ain't working anymore. And so, and then I said, hey, I, I asked them both. I said, hey, can I ask y'all something? Do you know how the Jehovah's Witnesses got started? I said, in 1852, there's this guy by the name of Charles Russell. I'm not kidding you. And in 1914, he predicted that Jesus was going to return, and he didn't come back. And then in 1915, I mean, the dude's just over there, and he's just mopping himself. And the lady's just like, I didn't know any of that. And I'm like, yeah, I'd love to have you back sometime. I said, we can sit down, we can go through the book of Revelation, verse by verse, and I can show you where these folks are completely way off, and I can tie it to original first century and all the book of Daniel, I mean, and by that point, he's just like, okay, all right, we, we, it's time for us to go. We'll see you later. Well, two weeks later, I'm, I'm here at the church. I'm doing some stuff. I got my car parked down here. It's on a Saturday morning. And I came down to the church. I was printing some stuff out, doing some work. And I looked up. I happened to go out to my car, and I looked up, and a car pulls in the driveway. I'm like, oh, it came back. Not the same people. <laughs> out of the car gets this very spit-polished-looking dude and has somebody else with him, and they come walking up to the house, and they knocked on the door. I'm watching this from down here. And they knock on the door, and um, they get Claire. And she says, my husband's not here today. You might want to come back another time. (laughs) She's like, I didn't want to tackle that. But in any case, all right, so my point is, finally... As this guy and this lady are walking off, okay, I said to the lady, I said, you know, somebody's right and somebody's wrong. You know, we live in a day and age where people are inventing what they want to believe. We are living in what I call the I think, I believe generation. And if you're under the age of 22, you need to listen to what I'm saying. Because your friends, your culture, your, the community that's raising you up is defining for you truth. It's saying, hey, look, it's, it's okay that you believe what you believe and that those people over there, we'll just let them believe what they want to believe and we'll just all tolerate one another. We'll all just get along. Well, friends, I got news for you. When we stand before the judgment seat of Christ, 
somebody's right and somebody's wrong. Saying to Jesus in that moment, uh, Lord, I didn't know. I mean, somebody didn't teach me right. I didn't, I didn't hear that. I didn't understand that, Lord. Well, I know now. Okay, I see it now. So what difference does that make to you and I? Friends, people need a clear hearing of the truth. People need to hear a clear and a succinct teaching of biblical Christianity. And so what's that have to do with you? What's that have to do with me? You have people in your life. I'm going to make you an offer. You have people that you know in your life, people at work that probably, maybe you've been trying to invite them for years to come to church here, and they just, it's just like, it's, it's one giant step too much. But maybe you could get them to your house. Maybe you could get them to come out for lunch. And your pastor will come and sit down in your house and field their questions and spend some time sharing with them what the Bible teaches. I'll listen. I love to listen. But I'll also teach. And so you set that up. You got my phone number. It's on the website if you don't have it. And you set that up. And you give people an opportunity in your life. If you don't feel comfortable enough, you know, when they come knocking at your door, or people at work standing around making up theology, coming up with stuff, you make sure that they have the opportunity because the stakes are too high. They're too high for us to just say, well, I don't know enough, or well, I'm not ready to do that, or well, they might be offended. The stakes are too high. We've got to be bold to tell people the truth. We can do it kindly. We can do it lovingly. But as Paul told Timothy, we must tell the truth. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for talking to us today from your word. We thank you for the challenge that's put before us each and every day. People that we cross paths with, Lord. Who are living according to some theology that's been passed on to them from somebody that they don't even know where it originated. And today and over these past weeks, Lord, we've had declared over our lives your truth in written form. And so, Lord, with that comes a responsibility to get that truth into the hands of a lost world. Whether it be through a cup of coffee with our pastor or just spending some time working through the scriptures one-on-one. -on -one. Lord, this is a responsibility that is ours. The stakes are too high. Holy Spirit, we pray in these quiet moments. And perhaps you already have, Lord. Bring to mind those people in our lives who are ready to hear a clear teaching, a clear presentation of the gospel. 
And Lord, may we boldly, may we boldly say, here's the truth. You're calling us, Lord, to this. May we respond in obedience. We pray these things in Christ's holy name. Amen.